Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Steph Harmon, culture editor of Guardian Australia, and you're listening to the first ever episode of the Save for Later podcast. And I'm Alex Gorman, lifestyle editor of Guardian Australia. And I'm Michael Sun, editorial assistant at Guardian Australia. And I could have sworn the first episode was last week. Uh, no, that was a little weird trailer that hopefully no one listens to. This is our first actual episode. So Save for Later is the podcast edition of a newsletter that Alex and I started a couple of years ago just to kind of justify how much time we were spending online and then to justify how much time we were spending doing the newsletter we're now doing a podcast. Look, lockdown may be over uh, for some of us, but brain worms are forever. <laughs> so, the point of this podcast is kind of just like to bring you the best of our tabs, I guess, uh, to talk about our online obsessions, the big zeitgeist moments that everyone's talking about, and also bringing in much smarter, funnier people than us to explain the bits of the web we don't understand. I did send a friend a meme this morning at 8.30am only to be hit with a very rude reply that said, Michael, it is too early for this. Um, so, I'm very thankful to be sharing our collective insanity here at the grand old hour of 4pm instead. Today, we're diving into the chaotic, messy and occasionally lawless world of SponCon, Instagram and advertising. And we have the absolutely perfect person to help us through it. Best-selling author, podcaster, TV host and founder of Flex Factory, Lillian Ahankan, aka Flex. Then we're talking about the show that everyone's talking about that I will repeatedly mispronounce. Succession is back on the air for season three and we have a special giant turkey costume just to put Michael in for it. And just like Cousin Greg, I cannot guarantee that I will not be vomiting in the costume. Streaming promised us the end of advertising and instead it seems like everything is an ad these days. Steph... What's the cringiest piece of SponCon you've seen this week? Oh, that is a tough call. Uh, probably not this week, but in an article we published last week uh, by Katie Hole, she talked about why it feels like brands are all over Australian TV, particularly on reality TV, which is basically all Australian TV right now. But <laughs> no, one's, no one's sticking around for ad breaks anymore, right? We're all watching TV on our laptops and advertisers have found ways to integrate their brands into the actual shows. So there was an amazing example which she referred to, which is Survivor using buckets of KFC as a reward for its starving contestants. So that when they revealed all of this great fried chicken, everybody lost their minds and then they repackaged those 
those reaction shots into ads again. A KFC feasts. That stuff is like almost evil to me. Steph, I don't know about you, but when I get KFC, that is also exactly my reaction. I look at the box and I'm like, this is finger licking good. <laughs> oh, I didn't realise we already had an advertiser. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Michael has not been paid for this endorsement. Now, we're not, we're not alone in our various recording studios at the moment because we have brought someone in who knows far more about this world than we could ever hope to. And she is a real life influencer with some lived experience of reality TV as well. Well, Lillian Henkin, also known as Flex, is with us here today. <laughs> That's the first time I've been referred to as a real life influencer. <laughs> and I prefer that title. It feels tangible. So, Lil, recently a couple of brands have gotten themselves into hot water for violating advertising standards with sponsored posts from influencers. So it wasn't the influencers who got in trouble. It was the brands who got flagged up for not sufficiently having disclosures around posts to make it clear that those posts were ads. Do you see influencers ever kind of bending the rules and doing things where they might be on the take without quite saying it? Absolutely. Influencing is a very lawless place. And I think there are a fair few influencers who do it on purpose, knowing that people don't understand perhaps the severity or the negligence at play. But I do think there are a fair few influencers who are just quite daft and don't understand that they are running businesses with legalities and with legislations and restrictions on how you can do what you're doing. Like I was watching a TikTok the other day of this girl who didn't realize that she had to put down all her Depop sales as taxable income. It's like, well, you made money off that, babe. Like, it's not just like play money. You have to tell the government you made it. Similarly with with Instagram, with influencing generally, people aren't necessarily aware that there are rules. It's a job. And they pick and choose when they want to put portray it as a job. So when someone tells an influencer, you don't do anything, suddenly it's a big job, I've got big responsibilities, it's super hard. But then when they are getting gifted a holiday, it's just like, oh, I love insert brand here and I love traveling and this this was not paid for, therefore it's not sponsorship. It's like, well, you understand that it is. You understand that it's been, it's been a transaction of some sort, even though it's not monetary. But brands, again, are sneaky because there are brands who will ask you not to disclose that it's an ad or not to disclose that things are gifted. Really? Or to, Do people ask you to that? Have, have you, yes. have you, when you were starting out, would, were you like, I mean, you've got hundreds of thousands of followers now, but when you were starting out, were there moments that you had like a looser relationship with it? Absolutely. I definitely used to have a looser relationship with it far, far many years ago, maybe six or seven years ago, where it was all flattery, no job. Flattery, no labor, just vibes. Because I was one of those people who would have assumed, and I still feel that way now sometimes, where if you're hiring me, I am now a representation of your brand. Therefore, you'd want me to have all the information possible to do the best job possible. And I think brands recognize that the separation that consumers will make between influencers and brands, and often the buck stops with the influencer. So if mm. I go and do a dodgy post for insert brand here, my audience is upset with me. Mm-hmm. Or if I work with a brand that my audience doesn't like, my audience is upset with me. And so brands live in this kind of smoke and mirrors area where they have nothing of substance to get in trouble for because they are the sum of everyone they ever work with. 
Oh, and I should just quickly clarify that this isn't a law and when someone's found in violation of any kind of ad standards, it's a self-regulated industry, no one's doing a crime, and we're not implying that any influencers have violated any codes that may govern them because there are none. Except (laughs) our moral and ethical codes. Um. Thank you, Michael, yes, and thank you, Alex. No codes, it's self-regulated, no crimes. No crimes, just weird vibes. Well, we've got that legal disclaimer out of the way, I think. But with that in mind, like, yeah, at what moment did you realise you needed to take it seriously? Like, what's the turning point? It became a consideration when I recognised that the trade-off or the transaction didn't necessarily seem fair. For example, I remember one of the first big gigs I did was using my likeness. I was a model in a shoot for the Opera House or something. And I was like, this is sick. So much money. I love it. Did I really read my contract? No. Did I sell that image of myself to the Opera House in perpetuity? Yeah. That did happen. That did happen. Is it still on all their screens? Yes. Every time I go to the Opera House, I see an image of me, which I love. And I'm glad it is with an institution of that caliber. I don't think it's in perpetuity. I think it's for a couple of years. Two years, too many, because the price has gone up. The the image has improved. But even little things like that, recognizing, well, what is the value of my image if my profile increases? But for every person like me who is like a narc about contracts, there are just as many who are just happy to be invited into spaces that they don't care. But I feel like that is really scary though, right, to me, because I think something that you said earlier was that people view the internet as this very lawless place. Like everyone becomes like a libertarian on the internet suddenly where they're like, I can do whatever I want. I think people expect reality TV to contain these like advertising messages, e.g. the KFC finger licking good example. <laughs> Stop saying it. <laughs> Man, literally. It's like, Sponsored by KFC. Um, <laughs> red flag. Um, but... How do you think people actually view content on, on Instagram? Do you think people are finally starting to have an understanding that a lot of what they view could be advertising, even if it's subtle? Or do you think people still don't really have an understanding of what that means or what that looks like? The latter. Uh, consumers love to think they're hit to scratch about what's really going on and they're not. Your whole life you've been primed to want to be able, no, not even that, your whole life you've been primed to not know how insidious advertising is. When you can now recognise it for what it is, that just means that was a bad ad, babe. <laughs> that doesn't mean that <laughs> your ability to see ads have changed. And I have this um, unofficial series I do on my Instagram where I share TikToks and I ask people, do you recognize the marketing in this video? And they often say no. There was this one video, uh, a TikTok video I shared on my platform and it was of this guy and he was saying, you know, I had this conversation with a girl and because of her, I'm going to therapy. So I put out this song called You Lost Me and I Love You a few days ago and we matched on Hinge and then we were talking and she was like, what's your song You Lost Me and I Love You about? And then I said, I think it's my biggest red flag. It's basically about my fear of commitment and how when someone starts getting serious in a relationship, I usually start to push them away. You think it's like above board. He's just telling a story, right? So in... As he retells this story, he's saying how he was on Hinge, he was having a conversation with this girl, she had told him that he seems as though he's got an avoidant attachment style, that he should go to therapy, and he wrote a song about it. Here's the song, you can listen to it on Spotify, and it's also playing as he's telling the story. In the future. Anyways, the song is called You Lost Me and I Love You, and I hope you like it. Go stream it now, and I'm going to go to therapy. 
but he's selling his music. And I don't think oh. that you should be able to draw a line between like, oh, is it an ad for me, an ad for a corporation? People need to understand what ads are and when they're being marketed to. And so when I quizzed my audience and said, Do you, does any of this register as an ad? Majority said no. Mm. And I'm like, to me, it's so blatant. Nobody says, nobody sets up a story with the, with a hook. Like I was on Hinge and because of this guy I went to therapy. If you were a dumb marketer, you'd start with the song and say, hey everyone, I, I wrote a song. Who cares about the song you wrote? But we love stories about dating. We love stories about straight men admitting that they need therapy. We love that. And he's aware of the codes that need or the signals and symbols people want to be seeing on apps like TikTok. They want oversharing stories. And so, no, I don't think people are getting smarter about it. And I think because audiences think they're getting smarter about it, they're not priming themselves to the reality of what's actually happening. I always say like anything that you post online can be curated, edited, all of it's contrived. Even when you're trying to be honest with yourself, you choose when you pick up the phone, when you press record, when you stop, what you say, how you say it, there is an air of deceit. And it's not a bad thing. It just is the fact of the matter. And so when you view someone talking about certain themes, like, you know, a a cute girl talking about being depressed and selling you online therapy, you think that's sincere. And because it's sincere, it cannot be an ad. That's the issue. Like ads can be good. Ads can be helpful. Ads can be fun and entertaining and dynamic, but they're still selling you stuff. And so once people get over this idea that like, if it, if I don't like it, it must be bad. Well, you're missing the point. <laughs> like nothing happens to us in a vacuum. You didn't want that shirt because you just like shirts. Well, you wanted that shirt because we've been telling you that you need another shirt. It's spring, babes. <laughs> <laughs> so something that really fascinates me is the fact that on reality TV and on Instagram and other platforms, there are actually very different roles. So to not be in violation of an advertising code on Instagram, you actually do need to disclose and be transparent. It needs to be really clear that it's an ad. But if product is integrated into a TV show, the fact that it's there at all is considered enough for us to know it's an ad. And what's weird to me about that particularly is that there's this pipeline between TV and the internet where it's the same people quite often on shows governed by different rules. Absolutely. I remember when I was watching Love Island UK, which I love, (laughs) and I was saying that it's really odd because obviously there's this running joke that the people who go on Love Island are there for that fast fashion check because it's beefy. You come out that show, you've got like a, a pretty little thing, an eyesore at first, a boohoo, $100,000, $200,000, a million dollars, oh $6 million, gosh. you know? It's it's not small. I actually got a press release the other day from a protein shake company that was purely about how they will be the choice protein shake of the Australian Love Island house this year. It's fascinating. So, you know, I I kept thinking that like in the Love Island house or all of them, any of them, but let's talk about UK specifically, all their clothes are sponsored. They wear clothes from one brand that when they sit at their, at their beauty counter and do their makeup, they're sponsored by one brand. They have to create content in the house. They go into the equivalent of whatever their diary room is and they do actual YouTube content. Hey everyone, here is my face of the day using products from people that have been sponsored and it gets posted 
on YouTube while they're in the house. So mm. like, it's not as though we're blurring the lines and there's just product placement. It's expected. They're almost being primed for the reality of their reality after they leave their, this reality TV show. Yeah. And it's not subtle. I just wanted to bring up a press release that I got uh, last week, which truly uh, shook me to my core. So Network 7 announced their 2022 offerings last week. They usually do a a sort of upfront, which is like what shows they're going to be offering. And then they have one for the advertisers. And in their advertisers one, they are launching a new product called Seven Shop. I, I think that the listener will be able to guess which of the words that I'm about to say are in inverted commas, because this is not language any normal person would use. But they describe the product as AI technology and content recognition software to identify and tag products in Seven's most popular programs. Seven Shop will let people buy what they see on screen, not just in supporting commercial content. So basically what that seems to mean is that when you're watching a show, you get notified if there's something on screen you can buy and then you can go buy it. Or if you're in the mood, use your mobile device to view additional branded content, which like, sure, (laughs) why not? But they're not even calling that advertising. That feels like a black mirror plot. (laughs) <laughs> where it's like you can click with your Apple remote and then you can buy the product right there. That is dystopian. It's what I think we all thought we were getting like when digital TV happened, right? But it just took a while to get there. It sounds like it's kind of happening now. But this this idea that it's, uh, this feeling that it's somehow different from advertising, but it's still brands, it's still advertising. It's just not the way we know it. So it's not regulated the way we expect. I think it's kind of frightening. And, and you know, I don't know if I'd, I'm quite media savvy and I don't know if I'm able to pick up on it all the time either. Well, it feels very nebulous right now because it's it like it definitely seems like consumers don't understand what influencers really do. Brands certainly most of the time do not. Many influencers do not even understand what the relevant influencer is. And I think maybe the best example I have of that, something that I wanted to ask you about, Flex, is that I think you're talking about role-playing what an influencer looks like. And I'm seeing a lot of people, friends, acquaintances in my feed, they think that they themselves, with like 500 followers, they think that they're doing the nano-influencing. I see them posting a photo of their lunch and they've tagged three things in the photo. And I'm like, why are you doing this? What is this behaviour? Do you feel like people, you know, like are, are mimicking these tropes of influencing without really understanding what it is? Yeah, advertising is so cooked and I often refer to myself and I think a lot of the clients I would work with refer to myself as kind of a bad influencer because I I let nothing slide. I recognize how insidious the industry is. I recognize all the ways that we have to directly and indirectly profit off people's insecurities, create this system where people feel a sense of lack when they're encountered with us. I'm fully aware. I'm also aware that I would like my chair and I would like to retire early. So I make adjustments, you know, (laughs) I deal with it. However, what I think is really fascinating is how brands don't want to take any ownership of their role in advertising and how insidious it is. They feel, or I feel like they perceive themselves to be a neutral party. And I guess now that we have influencers at the helm, suddenly see what the benefit is or what the implications are of advertising. It's not neutral. Someone gets paid to do it. Somebody benefits tenfold from doing this. I'm commodifying myself and you, and you don't get paid for that. And now it feels like, oh, wait a second. 
then, but why? I didn't consent to that. And it's like, well, I don't think any of us did, but we all want to be beneficiaries of this corrupt system. And if you don't pick and choose how you benefit, well, then you don't, right? So it's so odd, but I love talking about it. I love, 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 love. Speaking of sponsored content, we're going to be taking a break. And when we are back, we're going to be doing a little something about a hit TV show that has just returned that we all know and love. This podcast is going to be all about online culture and all of the moments that kind of dominate our feeds. And I actually can't think of a better first episode topic than a show that returned to our screens this week and offered up a faultless description of what the internet feels like right now. (sighs) Headline is, uh, the internet is big, uh, obviously. Uh, and I haven't, I can't, I, I couldn't read it all, but I'm working through, I guess, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's the big picture over here in Media Monitor. Succession is back for season three, and I like truly cannot remember being this excited about a moment in television. Um, it's a, a show about the truly awful family who run an old media empire called Waystyle Royco, with each sibling and the people around them kind of jostling to take it over from the patriarch while rescuing it from a series of scandals and also for the digital age. So we're not going to spoil anything in this discussion, but uh, just curious who you guys reckon is going to get the kiss from daddy. I mean, I think daddy is probably the sweet kiss of death and it's really, it's a Shakespearean tragedy. My, My prediction is that they're all going down. As Fallout Boy said, sugar, we're going down. <laughs> um, I feel like my predictions have been very off. Like, I famously binge-watched both seasons within a week before this season launched. Wow. And I really, I was really holding out um, hope for a Shiv Roy succession plot. But alas, we have no Shiv Roy succession plot. Not yet. Maybe it's Jerry. Honestly, I've switched, I've switched my allegiance from Shiv to Jerry. I stand Jerry. Mm-hmm. It's only because of the photos that emerged of Jerry tightly and very erotically embracing um, Kieran Culkin himself. Oh, man. Truly. So, so for me, like, I mean, the show obviously is like an eviscerating depiction of all manner of things, which mostly the white ultra rich. But one particular enjoyment that I get out of it is just how brutal but extremely realistic its depiction of media is, and particularly online media, because I think mm-hmm. a lot of shows try to get there, and this show just, like, nails it every episode. So Alex and I thought we might do something a bit navel-gazy and a little bit cruel for our next segment. Michael, I'm so sorry about this. You've only just joined The Guardian, what, like, a month ago? I think, like, about a month or maybe yeah. two ago, but time is famously not real right now anyway. So, it doesn't matter. I've been here my entire life. And you already have a podcast, so it's fine. What we thought we'd do, though, is test your knowledge of your new workplace by pitting it against our favourite show. So, like, I think one of the most vindicating and probably horrifying achievements of the show is the crafting of not just the workplaces, but the content that they produce. So, in particular the clickbait headlines of Volta. So a couple of examples, mm. uh, meet the world's richest people trafficker. He's a surprisingly nice guy. <laughs> and five reasons why drinking milk on the toilet is kind of a game changer. Honestly, tried it, can attest. 
So you get glimpses of those and you also get glimpses of headlines from the family's right-wing news network, ATN. So these are Mm. like the headline tickers that are running across the bottom of the news broadcasts, including such beauties as, why are so many of our older celebrities dying? (laughs) I'd like to know the answer. Why are they? It's a great question. (laughs) Our game's going to be based around the headlines. Did it come from Succession or did it come from The Guardian? I am ready. Here's our first question. Set children free. Are playgrounds a form of incarceration? (laughs) That to me, (laughs) that's incredibly difficult. I feel like as someone who's followed the Peak Guardian page. What's the Peak Guardian page? The Peak Guardian page is a Facebook page that essentially screenshots headlines, which it deems to be particularly and very nichely Guardian. Right. We've actually been briefed never to craft a headline that feels Peak Guardian, but if it happens, you know. It's a happy accident. I actually feel like the beauty of Guardian headlines is that is when you get the peak Guardian one. And it's kind of like a personal in-joke that is um, hated by this Facebook page, but loved by us. I I agree. We are in on the joke. We are in on the joke. And for that reason, I feel like this is a Guardian headline. Bing, bing, bing. One point, Michael. Well done. This was (laughs) actually a very thoughtful piece from February this year by Guardian's architecture and design critic um, advocating for more child-friendly urban planning amid COVID shutdowns. Was the verdict that playgrounds were prisons? Like, kind of, but more nuanced, let's say. (laughs) All right. On to question two. Is every Taylor Swift lyric secretly Marxist? I do feel like The Guardian has published a lot of Taylor Swift content, um, a lot of it incredibly thoughtful and nuanced. I'm thinking particularly of Laura Snapes's um, incredible interview with, with Taylor Swift about a couple years ago. Uh, maybe it was last year. But I think for that very reason that most of the content has been very thoughtful and actually intelligent. I think this is probably a succession parody headline. And I would say that it's actually a Volta headline. Ah, uh, yes. Good work. So I reckon you should get two points for picking the publication that it's from within the succession universe as well. So you've got two for two and an extra bonus point. This is a Volta headline. Not far off a Guardian headline, though. I found one from March 2020 that was Comrade Britney Spears, Star Calls for Strike and Wealth Distribution. Britney Spears is famously is, is famously Marxist, though. I mean, if we listen to the lyrics of Work Bitch, um, they're advocating for, you know, they're advocating for workers <laughs> to seize the means production. Question three. I went into my laundry and screamed. The giant lizard was still there. Oh, Bridget Delaney. Bridget Hive, <laughs> rise up. Like, this is one for the Bridget heads near, far, in all our listeners right now. That is a, cla- that is a stone-cold classic Bridget headline. Where is a lizard now? I'd like to know. We'll get her in for for a subsequent podcast and find out about the whereabouts of the lizard. You are right. That was a Bridget Delaney, uh, Queen of Chaos headline. Uh, Some of my other choice cuts from one of Guardian Australia's favourite columnists is Mice Woke Me Up by Running Through My Hair. I Have Never Been the Same Since. And Huge Domes of Dust Drift Across My Floor. Where Do They Come From? And Why Do I Feel So Afraid? Uh, how are you feeling at this point in the quiz, Michael? You know what? I'm feeling like I have something up my sleeve, Seth. Oh, no. Um, I actually have a bonus round for both of you. I've been thinking about succession. I've been thinking about 
The Guardian, my lovely month or two months here or potentially undetermined amount of time here. <laughs> and I was thinking, how can I turn the tables on them? Um, so I'm about to present you with your own quizzes. The rules of this game are that I'm going to be telling you a quote from Succession. It could be from a headline. It could be from an ATN um, ticker, as you said, Steph. And then I'm going to be giving you a quote or a headline from one of your own articles. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, one that we've commissioned or one that we've written? One that you have written in your long and This is and my literal nightmare. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hate this. Steph, I'm going to be quizzing you about Alex and vice versa. Alex about Steph. Oh, so it's a little bit like the honeymoon game. Amazing. Let's go. Um, Steph, mm. these are three things from various articles. Mm. Number one, the viral ad deemed dystopian and sexist saw the company's $9 billion valuation plummet. Number two, these old school photos of Soviet dental schools are peak dystopia. Number three, what does Love Island have in common with a surrealist dystopia? Question mark. It's good for me to know that I use the word dystopia too much in my copy. <laughs> I think the dental school one is succession and the other two are Alex. You are absolutely yes. correct. Um, Alex is nodding. She's happy to have never published an article about Soviet dental schools being peak dystopia. That was, in fact, Volta. Yes, uh, and Alex, you do talk about dystopia a lot, so this checks out. No, I just, I need to put it on my list of banned words. This is really a good read for my, read for my writing skills. Well, for every time that Alex uses the word dystopia, Steph, you love to ask a question. Oh, no. So Alex, here are three questions, two from Steph and one from Succession. The questions go, number one, what makes a guy a wife guy? Number two, what is the duct tape bikini? <laughs> number three, is sweet cheeks hate speech now. Number three is definitely a ATN ticker and the other two are 100% Steph. Pure, glorious Steph. But more importantly, is Sweet Cheeks hate speech now? I mean, I hate it. <laughs> yeah, it is speech that I hate. If someone called me Sweet Cheeks, I would hate them. Yeah, that counts. Fair. Yeah, that counts. Cancel. What if you had sugar all over your cheeks at the time? then that is on me, Alex, and I deserve everything that's coming towards me. <laughs> Every week at the end of the show, we're going to recommend you the things that we are loving. Uh, it's going to be called Top of the List. Steph, what are you loving this week? So I just read a truly brilliant book, um, which also was really short. Uh, and a lot of people don't have the attention span for long books at the moment. It's called Several People Are Typing by Calvin Kasulke. Uh, it is set in a Slack channel. So the whole book is people chatting to each other over a workplace Slack. They all work at a PR company in New York. It gets really weird and it's extremely online and very funny and very easy to read. Alex, what's top of your list this week? Top of my list is Only Murders in the Building, which is a show about a podcast and a murder mystery. The reason I'm recommending it now is that the final episode of season one just dropped. And like all good murder mysteries, you should definitely just binge the whole thing. It's on Disney+. Plus. 
And top of my list is the concept of voice memos. Is it a text? Is it a call? No, it's a voice memo. As a geriatric Gen Z, it combines the best of both worlds. Michael, if you send me a voice memo, I'm never going to listen to it. I'm sending it into the void. I hate him. I hate him. Thanks, everyone, for listening to our first podcast. Uh, You can expect more of this nonsense in future. Thank you for joining us on this noble experiment. This podcast was produced by Miles Herbert. The music for this episode was handcrafted by Joe Koning. And the executive producers for this podcast are Miles Martignoni and Gabrielle Jackson. Blame them, not us. Thank you to everyone in the Guardian audio team who's done heaps of work piloting, training us how to use mics. Your infinite patience is our infinite gratitude. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 